Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, March 7th. We begin with a look at the state of retail in 2023. Nordstrom is out and Zellers is making its return. We discuss the overall trends and projections for the retail sector with Jane Domenico, Senior Vice President at Collier's Real Estate Management. Next, a look at the war in Ukraine in a different light. We examine the influence Joseph Stalin's reign still holds in Russia 70 years after his death and how his leadership style compares to current President Vladimir Putin. We discuss with Dr. James Ryan, professor of history from Cardiff University. Meant to be an event promoting inclusion and acceptance, the Reading with Royalty program at the Calgary Public Library has been interrupted by hate and homophobia. We speak with drag performer King Neptune, who was in attendance this weekend when the event was halted. It has been a roller coaster ride in the retail game not just in Canada, but across the globe. Uh, At home here, Nordstrom is out most recently and Zellers is making its return. Is Canada's retail sector set for growth in 2023? To discuss the overall trends and what we can expect in the coming months, we're joined by Jane Domenico, SVP of Retail Collier's Real Estate Management Services. Good morning to you, Jane. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Now, it's interesting because I want to get into this as to what we can expect, but let's take a step back and talk about the changes we've seen when it comes to retail. Is it just the pandemic we can hang these issues on that we've been seeing, or is this a long time coming when we see something like Nordstrom moving out of Canada? Well, um, change is a constant within retail. Uh, Consumers change, uh, buying patterns change, demographics change. So retailers have to be very comfortable around change. Specifically with Nordstrom, they were uh, trying to operate at a very competitive space within Canada, which is the high-end fashion retail. And we have Saks, we have our homegrown Holt Renfrew, and all these factors were implemented and affected their outcome. Nordstrom is a fantastic retailer but it was a crowded space that they entered in Canada. Jane, can you talk a little bit about in terms of, you know, your insights and what you think the Canadian retail outlook might be for 2023? Will we see more of the Nordstrom's or, you know, more big sort of stores and and chains like that go away? And and is there a resurgence of the smaller guys? What, What do you think is going to come? Well, we think that our overall vacancy rate will actually drop about 1% over the next 18 months. And um, these large uh, retailers that have um, recently left Canada, uh, both Nordstrom and Bed Bath & Beyond, left for more corporate reasons than the Canadian marketplace. We are coming off two years of fantastic retail sales. Year-over-year growth has been uh, unbelievable, but we're taking a more moderate approach in the future for 2023. We think that we will meet our 2022 sales with a slight increase. Let's talk about beyond the brick and mortar. We know that e-commerce platforms have been very profitable and uh, twice as profitable in 2022 than previous years, according to stats. Your takeaways on how retailers can be profitable in 2023 with that mix How important is it to kind of split it down the middle between brick and mortar and having that online presence? Our recent Collier's report actually specifies that exactly. You hit it right on the nail. Um, The the successful and most profitable retailers operate in both a bricks and mortar and an e-commerce platform. 
the goal is to reduce your e-commerce delivery costs. And the best way to do that as a retailer is to ask your clients and your shoppers to come back to your store to uh, pick up the product. So click and collect or buy online and pick up in store is the most profitable and most successful model for retailers who do both brick and mortar and e-commerce platforms. Is that the what omni-channel would refer to then, omni-channel retail? I've never heard that term before. That's correct. And omni-channel also talks about the brand experience with the shopper. So it really is important for our retailers to have the same brand experience both online and in the store. If there's a differentiation, that actually reduces the customer satisfaction. And so omni-channel is the combination of all the channels of selling, but under the consumer touch point being the same. Jane, where do you see malls, physical shopping malls, fitting into the mix? I know that we were big box stores for a long time, going back 25 years or so, and the boutiques have always you know, stood the test of time if they've got something unique. But uh, what about the future of malls? The malls are actually back, and when we look at our traffic from a pre-COVID uh, point of view, so that's the consumer traffic that comes to our shopping centers, we are at or exceeding those numbers. Our sales performance for apparel was up uh, over 25% um, year over year in 2022 versus 2021. All those things mean that the mall is back, but the mall is also changing because the consumer is changing. We're looking at residential and other types of development, so becoming more of a mixed-use asset live work play is sort of the the takeaway for the malls of the future thank you so much for joining us this morning jane fascinating chat thanks for your time thank you so much Appreciate bye it. jane dominico is svp of retail at collier's real estate management services it has been 70 years since the death of joseph stalin but his legacy continues to cast a long shadow over russia and ukraine why is this the case what impact does it have on that region still today with Samite, the insight this morning we're joined by dr james ryan lecturer in modern european and russian history at cardiff university good morning to you doctor thanks so much for being with us Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Andy. Thank you for inviting me. Appreciate your time this morning. Uh, it, it is fascinating that Stalin's legacy still has a stronghold on Russia and Ukraine, even after you know 70 years since he passed. Why is that? What, what was his prominence as, and his importance that it still lasts today? Well, it's it's a um, it is a fascinating question. I think you're absolutely right, and um, I think it's it's actually less about. Stalin the man and more about Stalinism, that is the wider political system that Stalin helped to bring about. And really that system lasted until I would say until the late 1980s. Um, and so actually the, the, the unraveling of that system, the replacing of that system with something else um, is something that we are still very much seeing play out. Um, and all over the world we have seen over the last 12 months just how just how awful um some of that legacy can be as 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 russia has brutally invaded its its neighbor ukraine we draw the connection to the legacy but when we, we take a look at uh, joseph stalin and vladimir putin and the regimes uh, they're comparing the two of them 
Uh, can you elaborate how you see these two as similar or different? Can we draw comparisons? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, it, it, they are similar. They are also different. Um, so it's 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 not a question of there being the same thing or actually very different. What I would say first and foremost is um, we're talking here about dictatorship, right? So that this is a dictatorial system, and. The Soviet Union that Stalin ruled, that was a dictatorship from its very beginning. So when when the when the Lenin's party, the Bolshevik party, when they came to power in 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 what was then the former Russian Empire in 1917, pretty much from the get-go, it became a dictatorship. And so when Stalin became the undisputed leader of the Soviet Union around about 1929, certainly by 1930, it was already a dictatorship. Much of that system was already in place. But Stalin drove it in somewhat new directions, certainly very radical and very dramatic directions. He forced people in the countryside into these big collective farms. He turned the country into an industrial power in the space of just a few years. Um, and this had dreadful human consequences, including in Ukraine, where millions of people died because of a famine that directly resulted from Stalin's policies. And that happened in 1932-1933. And if you speak with people from Ukraine, they will, they, will, they will tell you about the famine in the context of what's happening today. It's fascinating. Well, let's talk about human rights, uh, human rights abuses and censorship issues, and certainly seeing that under Putin's regime and very concerning. So are there specific examples that you see as sort of the most alarming and any kind of the things that sort of throw back to Stalin's time? Yes. Um, I mean, several things can be said. Just, just this week, actually, people in Russia, um, in Moscow, are being sentenced um, for political crimes that that are that are invented, um, these are, um, in some cases, students who have voiced their opinion on the war in Ukraine on Facebook and other social media, and are being sentenced to six, seven, eight years in prison um, for. Um, I don't remember exactly what the charge is, but for uh, um, besmirching the name of the Russian army and the Russian state. Um, and that, I mean, that's dictatorship, isn't it? That's that's the sort of thing that we would associate with dictatorship. Um, something else that really strikes me as a historian of the Stalin period is the fear of foreign influence um, or, or, or the language of xenophobia. Um, just last year, a few months after the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, Russia's parliament passed a law that extended its um, its um, its previous existing legislation on what are called foreign agents. And basically what this means is that anybody in Russia who is engaged in anything that can be, that can be considered political activity, if they are believed to be under foreign influence. And this is very vague. It's deliberately very vague. Anything that can be seen as foreign influence, um, that can have negative consequences. So, for example, um, if I'm, I'm, an, I'm, I'm a university lecturer, if I were a university lecturer in Russia and I wanted to say something, give my honest opinion about the war to my students, um, then it's very likely I would lose my job. Wow. Interesting. Uh, let's, uh, let's break this down a little further. We've got about a minute left, Professor, but... Two different detect, uh, dictators, same country, but different times. 
How is it that the dictatorship holds strong in 2023 under Vladimir Putin when we've got the online world and the connectivity that his people might be getting messages that are contradicting what he is saying, unlike the Iron Curtain times of Stalin? How does that work? How do they keep a lid on that right now? Well, this is this is fascinating and, and, and dreadful in the sense that it really comes down to force and fear. Um, we we like to think that if people are living under a dictatorship or a very strong authoritarian regime, we like to think that they would do something about that, that they would somehow or other be able to overthrow that regime or, or, or do something else. But really, it's extremely difficult. Um, the Russian state has a lot of force that it can use and has used to silence people. Um, and it's a question then of, of courage. If I were living in Russia, I don't think I would have the courage to go out in the streets and risk arrest. And that's true for very, very many Russians. And those who really cannot stand the situation have already fled in their hundreds of thousands. Powerful discussion. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Dr. James Ryan, lecturer in modern European Russian history at Cardiff University. This is how the Calgary Public Library defines their Reading with Royalty program. Celebrate inclusion and diversity with our glamorous family-friendly storytime program led by local drag queen, king, and monarch performers. Join the fun. Come dressed in your best outfit, cape, or crown. But instead of inclusion and acceptance, at least one man is facing hate-motivated charges after shouting homophobic and transphobic slurs at children and parents who are attending an event on February 25th. Joining us now is King Neptune, the drag performer who was reading when this so-called street pastor began his tirade. Good morning to you, King Neptune. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Who Can you tell us who, when you're reading at these events, who's showing up to the library, you know, when, when in, in terms of the families and that sort of thing? Who is it that comes to watch and listen? Absolutely. I mean, we have a very diverse group of, uh, of supporters, of people who come out and see these events. Uh, we have families within the queer community bringing their kids to, to kind of just open up those conversations. We have people who just um, maybe are hanging out at the library and see that there's a fun event going on and decide to join in. A lot of new immigrant families join us in our programs. Uh, really, it's just uh, it's something available for everybody. There's something there for everyone. The families and kids there for a show... Protesters roll up, and the kids love to be entertained, but they uh, probably have never had any experience with with protesters uh, to a a certain extent. Were the kids scared uh, on location? Uh, Yeah, I think that goes without saying. Um, We took uh, some safety measures going into it, knowing that we had some protesters uh, showing up. Now, normally they stay outside of the library, and they do their thing, and we're able to continue on with our program. Uh, pretty uninterrupted, but unfortunately, at the Seton Library, we had uh, three separate uh, disruptions, essentially. We were in a private room within the library, uh, kind of as a safety measure, and they pushed into that room specifically to, uh, yeah, kind of to literally yell at children and and parents for being there and and kind of spew their, their hatred and whatever rhetoric they had going on. And, yeah, you definitely saw kids uh, scared, a couple uh, parents grabbing their kids or older siblings grabbing their younger siblings. But you definitely saw the impact in the room. And uh, we just were doing our best to 
uh, as entertainers, keep the kids focused on us and keep the mood light, while also, uh, you know, parents in the room and, and volunteers in the room trying to just mitigate the situation and uh, shut down any any shouting and yelling and things like that. And Neptune, isn't isn't it ironic that that you know entertainers, performers are there to promote acceptance and inclusivity, and these protesters show up spouting bigotry, hatred, and profanity? I mean, they likely don't even get the irony in that. Yeah, I think they might need their own little drag story time because, you know, you're you're barging into this event uh, while we're literally reading kid books about acceptance and diversity and loving people for their differences, um, you know, loving yourself for being different. And yeah, you, you have people coming in telling you that that's wrong. And that's just such a backwards message. You know, we understand. I think everybody understands that safety is the number one priority. Uh, but I want to get your opinion on this. And we're speaking with a drag performer by the name of King Neptune. By the way, I love the name. <laughs> uh, but when, when we, we're trying to be safe, that's great. Uh, but doesn't hate win when an event is canceled? Uh, what are your opinions on this? Yeah, I mean, of course safety is going to be a big priority for everybody but we've been running this program safely for five years um and this is kind of the first big escalation we've seen was at the Seton event so to me it it does kind of make it come across like hate one in this situation by postponing one of our events so closely after this occurred um i believe that there were other measures we could have taken um and unfortunately that just those decisions were were made kind of without some performer input, but I think we should have moved the reading to be online at the very least. Um, we shouldn't have postponed it. It should have either gone on as planned because there were safety measures we could have been taking at a smaller, different library. It was a different situation. Um, but I think at the very least, that reading could have gone online uh, as a way of, of standing up to the fact that no matter what, these events are going to continue um, we're looking for more partnerships. We're looking for more ways to spread this, uh, this really positive, uh, this positive message, again, of acceptance, of diversity and strength in community. And so uh, very much we were disappointed to see that event get postponed, as well as some other events that uh, unfortunately had to postpone due to safety reasons as well that uh, maybe were, that were taking place last month, to say, when things were getting heated as well. Along, so. with, along with the hate and the homophobia and, and all the things that are very obvious, you know, one of the arguments of this fringe group of people who are protesting is that, you know, drag performers are somehow grooming children, that there's pedophilia involved here. Can you just kind of explain to people how this event even started and, and what it looks like? It's, it's just kids being read a story in a library, correct? Absolutely. So all of our royal readers go through background checks with the police. We go through training before starting this program. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's a fun, uh, usually about 45-minute long program where we each read, maybe we read three books while kind of breaking that up with songs and dance. Um, you know, all of the favorites. We got the hokey pokey. We got all the fun stuff for the kids to get their, like, kind of wiggly energy out before reading stories. And that's what it's like. Usually afterwards, we open it up. If they have any questions, we have a dress-up box. So we bring crowns and capes and tutus and cool things for them all to kind of get up and have fun with at the end. And we all, we all just have a good time with the program. But uh, like I said, it's been running solidly for five years. Mm -hmm. We 
uh, we transitioned through the uh, through the pandemic to doing online readings uh, when we could to keep providing that content for families. And you know, now that things have calmed down a little, we're back to in-person library readings. And it's really out of five years, only been about the last year or or maybe a little bit less than a year that we've started seeing some kind of growing pushback against this program. You mentioned uh, King Neptune that. Uh, you know, the, the, the dress-up box for the kids, right? I think that's fantastic, as with any creative time or, or story time. Sounds fantastic. We do have a text that just came in from Marie, and Marie says, I'd like to ask what they were wearing, i.e. the performers, when you're reading stories to the children. Certainly. Um, so for myself, I really enjoy a good rhinestone. And so uh, as King Neptune, uh, the color blue is a big theme for myself. Uh, so at this event, I was dressed in... Uh, like a two-piece, uh, full, you know, kind of navy blue suit with rhinestones to the nines. Uh, had a nice little uh, crown, a nice bow tie. Um, you know, other performers, uh, say some of our drag queens, they're wearing princess dresses or fun clown outfits. Just anything sparkly, anything shiny. Uh, you know, we all have our different styles, but yeah, all of it is something you would see, you know, at Disneyland or at any kind of fun event where there's people and performers dressing up. And Neptune, let's be very clear. There is no sexualization. This is not a drag performance. There is no burlesque show. This is this is performers sitting and reading a book to the kids. A hundred percent. There's It is just two performers and a library liaison reading stories to kids. There's no performing or, or songs. and uh, like We're not performing to songs or lip-syncing even. Um, it, again, like the most dancing that's happening is the hokey pokey. <laughs> and uh, I can tell you that that's not very sexy. So <laughs> there's no worries there. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and shedding light on your experience. We appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you uh, kind of bringing some light to this uh, you know, to this event and to this issue that we're facing right now as a LGBTQ community. Not often we get to have the king on. No, nope, Thank you true. so much. That is uh, drag performer King Neptune.